Welcome into another edition of Play by Play, presented by our friends at The Advocate, along with the illustrious Kent Lowe. I'm Chris Blair, and Kent, uh, we're headed down the stretch, hard to believe. Softball, no more midweek games. They'll finish up conference play, then get ready for the SEC tournament, which is always uh, a fun affair in college softball. LSU baseball headed down the back stretch. Uh, track and field coming into uh, the home stretch, as it were. Um, one of those exciting times where it's, it's time for – Teams to make moves for championships. Yeah, and there were some pretty good moves made this uh, <laughs> weekend. Uh, you were with baseball at, at Ole Miss. I had a chance to watch a couple of the softball games against Mississippi State and good results all around. Yeah, LSU baseball gets their first SEC series sweep of the year, which is never easy to do. And it was against Ole Miss in Oxford, national championship uh, for the Rebels last year. While they struggled this year, going into the weekend, Jay said, I don't want to hear any of that. They still have SEC talent. Um, but LSU, I think the biggest takeaways, Kent, from the weekend uh, were, again, when they see adversity, they do not panic. They stay with their plan. Um, and then, of course, winning game three, come from behind, top of the ninth, two outs. Hayden Travinsky called upon yeah. to pinch hit, home run down the left field line. Uh, it's kind of the story of this team. But the biggest takeaway, uh, another great outing by Paul Skeens, which we are accustomed to. Ty Floyd, eight and a third innings, had his longest outing, pitched really well in game two. And then I thought Christian Little progressed a little bit, uh, his longest start of the season. So that's kind of the numbers you're looking for to be successful in an SEC weekend. So from that standpoint, uh, job well done, not to mention getting three more wins. And a, by the way, a change atop the SEC East and a change at the SEC West. LSU now ahead of Arkansas, who was swept on the weekend by Georgia. Uh, Vanderbilt got swept by Tennessee, which put South Carolina, who swept Florida, atop the SEC East. So, uh, you know, I think we're starting to see things even out. We had a couple yeah. of teams jumped off to a bunch of big wins. Uh, now things, as we expect in this talented league, starting to even up a little bit. And in softball at Tiger Park, big weekend, big crowds out there. Of course, they had the teal walk. And something that was really cool, Chris, all 14 teams uh, wearing teal in support of the All for Alex campaign, uh, the Mississippi State player who passed away. But uh, really great to see the whole league involved in this on Saturday and a big crowd out there Saturday night for, for the uh, televised game uh, Saturday evening in LSU. The hitting really got going all weekend long, uh, topped by an 8 nothing shutout uh, Sunday afternoon. Very impressed with the way they came back from down 4 nothing to win 10-4 to on Saturday night. And just uh, great to see the bats alive. And now it's kind of Alabama weekend. Softball goes to Alabama, and baseball hosts Alabama. And, of course, both those teams, Alabama softball has been parentally good, and Alabama baseball making a bit of a surge here this season. Yeah, they jump above 500 in league play after going to Columbia, Missouri and sweeping Missouri. So, again, the opening weekend of SEC baseball, there were some surprising sweeps. It was almost another similar situation with the number of sweeps uh, in conference play. Well, coming up, we're going to talk to a national champion. Bob Starkey, associate head coach, is uh, going to join us here on Play by Play. But speaking of national championships, just a couple of years removed from LSU track and field, yeah. and we're headed in to where championships are won. And uh, it was the alumni goal week, uh, 
weekend, really, and track meet this past Saturday. A lot of former alums here, and some of them ran, and uh, some Olympians here. But our men's 4x100 team clocked a 38-36 in the 4x100. That's first in the nation and fourth in the world. Uh, Godson uh, Adambrene uh, had the first sub-10 in the 100 meters uh, this year, 9.97, and that's second in uh, collegiate right now, uh, sub-10 this season. So uh, Aaliyah Hobbs also lowered her world leading time in the 100 to 10.86, so some great sprint performances in that meet. And if you want to see more of the track team, they're out at the track stadium this Saturday for the LSU invitation. All right. Well, best of luck to them down the stretch. Best of luck to all the Tiger teams. And it's probably off camera a little bit, but Kent, I like the uh, Tumblr, little Keeneland Tumblr. Oh, from Keeneland, yeah, yes. Yeah, what a great place. If you haven't been to Keeneland, uh, both he and I will uh, certainly endorse it. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and roll out the carpet for a champion. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. Bob Starkey, associate head coach for your national champion LSU women's basketball team, going to stop by the show. Stay with us. Coming right up. Welcome in, Tiger fans. Another week of play-by-play presented by our friends at The Advocate. And uh, as we told you, it's uh, great to have a national champion come join our show. And frankly, Kent, uh, this is the first national champion we've had. Am I correct? Is memory serves? I believe that is correct. Uh, It is is a pleasure to welcome uh, assistant coach Bob Starkey. I don't know if that's even the right title. Uh, but again, it's great to have you here. You're part of a national title team. Congratulations on the season. Well, I appreciate it. It's my first national championship too, so uh, it's pretty exciting. I, I, you know, I've been at LSU long enough to to know how much they appreciate championships, and to be able to provide one makes it really special. You know, it's amazing. Um, I don't even know now how many weeks it's been removed, but it still seems like it was yesterday, and it really seems that way for Tiger fans. I mean that. That momentum that you guys carried into March Madness and then to the title, that momentum keeps going. Uh, the team keeps making news. Everybody is excited. And, again, it goes to your point. LSU loves a winner. They love a national champion. But the support that the fan base, not only here in Louisiana, but across the country and, for that matter, across the globe uh, for this team, the excitement still continues. Well, it does. And I, I think that speaks to two things. First of all, just the, the world we live in now. I mean, with the, with social media, uh, the way you can push the envelope on, on, on sharing championships with Tigers around the world. Uh, but it, it, it also speaks to how special it is to winning. Uh, and this is a university that, that greatly cares about winning. And I'm sure everybody at their university likes to say that. But nobody wins the way we do at LSU. I mean, we can certainly talk about women's basketball, but we can go and click off every sport. Uh, it's just a special place with a special fan base. Again, uh, Kent, it was – you know, we got to see it from a distance. We had several of those that worked closely with us that were right there uh, with the team on the run. And, uh, you know, it was just as exciting for us. And, and Coach, before we dig into to this season and how you got back to LSU, you know, one of the things that I heard Angel talk about, number of players talk about, Coach Mulkey talk about, was how it elevated the sport, um, not just here, but across the country. And suddenly you saw the numbers for any women's basketball event go up. Um, The day of the championship, 
my 11-year-old daughter and I were the only ones at home. My wife had a work uh, event. My son was busy doing baseball. And it's the first game she's ever watched, start to finish, tip to final horn of any basketball game. And she was on the couch jumping, cheering. She quickly learned the players' names. It was amazing that I watched in that two-and-a-half, three-hour window the grasp that your team this year and that title did to countless millions of young ladies across the country. Well, I think it's a really special time for women's basketball, too, and I do think this has been coming. But to have 9.9 million viewers in a game that did not have Tennessee or Connecticut or Stanford, two teams that that were not picked in the top ten before the season, but because of the style of play, because of – uh, the personalities involved, both coaches and players, uh, it, it just speaks volumes to where our game's going. And, and I, I think it's I, – I think 10, 15, 20 years from now, they'll look back at, at this particular NCAA tournament and say this was probably the springboard uh, that created such a growth spurt in women's basketball. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Also being finally on ABC – and I think a few years ago, moving the championship game off of a Tuesday night back to Sunday afternoon between the, the men's games where there's an open day sitting there, I think really made a lot of difference as well this year. i tell you something else, too, that we're really proud of. Because first of all, I'm a defensive coach. Yep. I would have been okay winning that ball game 55-50. to 50. <laughs> <laughs> But for the, the good of our game. Yeah. For it to be a high possession game yeah. with tremendous offensive plays, with made baskets, uh, for one team to, to score 100, for the losing team to score 80, it wasn't just a great game. It was incredibly entertaining. If you yeah. love basketball, there was something there for you. So we're, we're just not proud of, of winning. We're proud of how we won. No, exactly, exactly. Bob, there was a lot of, lot of hype coming in, a lot of that from – the national publicity players like Flage was getting and, and and Reese and all. But, I mean, was there a time in the summer or was it later on down the road a little bit that you, the coaching staff realized there was the potential here for this to be one of those great years? Well, I'll start with this. Uh, I had a media person ask me, uh, following the win, when did you know you were coaching a national championship team? And I said, with about 45 seconds to go against <laughs> Iowa. Now, I knew we were good, and I knew at times we were special. And every game we played in that run, because I'm responsible for, for the scout, I knew we, we were capable of winning. I knew if we do A, B, C, we're going to win this ball game. But there were times uh, during practice. I, I, to me, practice is the greatest indicator of a team's potential, especially a Kim Mulkey practice. There would be times where we would come off the floor and say, we're pretty good. We got a chance to be pretty good. And there would be some days where you say, hey, this team could be special. And Kim was so great throughout the year. 
uh, at framing that in practice, her language at practice in, in, in terms of the messaging she gives the team is amazing. So uh, it may be three or four grueling practices and you can, you, you, you're a little bit tired and, and Kim may stop saying, you know, maybe, maybe you guys shouldn't be talking about that Final Four stuff. Or maybe we'll have uh, a really good practice or a, a particularly good part of practice. You say, see, guys, you see what I see right now? I, I see that Final Four team right now. So it was her way of planting seeds, letting the team know that, hey, we're good enough. We can get there, but this is the way we have to be. Uh, but at no time during the season did I think we'd be cutting debts down at the last game. I thought we had a chance to make a nice run, uh, but that was a pleasant, pleasant surprise. Well, you of all people know what a lot of us knew, that getting to the semifinals is one thing, but busting that semifinal curse here at LSU is another. And once you did that, it was like, all bets are off. Let's, let's see what happens here. You know what? I think it really helped uh, a couple of things. First of all, it was it was a few generations removed. I, I don't even know if our kids know about a curse. Certainly, Kim Malky doesn't know about a curse. So I don't think that you know there may have been an occasional media person who brought it up, but I don't think it resonated with our kids. And then then certainly Kim knows what she's doing once she gets to that particular part of the season. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be remiss if if, if I I didn't say you know late in the third quarter when we're down nine or ten against Virginia Tech, that it didn't creep up my mind, you know, six trips and nothing to show for it. So, uh, But our kids did a remarkable job at coming back. Uh, Kim did a great job coaching the fourth quarter, and we found a way to advance. Absolutely. We've been uh, working on this uh, guest, trying to get him in here for, for quite a while. As you can imagine, there was, there was a lot of things, a lot of people pulling at associate head coach Bob Starkey after the national championship. Uh, but it's great to have you here. I wanted to dig a little deeper on what Kent asked you about. And that was to begin the year, even preseason, we heard Coach Mulkey, we heard everybody associated with the team talking about piecing it together. Um, and it was obvious why that became the mantra because there were so many new pieces that were brought. A couple remaining players, but you brought in some pieces. And we all know, we, we hear it all the time, that a team has to gel. Mm. And, you know, Ken asked about when you thought you'd win a championship. And, and I kind of thought, as a coach, you would say not until the, the horn sounds. But you were pretty close, 45 seconds. Um, but you do know how important it is for a team to be locked together. Uh, and Patrick Wright, who kind of keeps me really up to date um, because we're, I'm with men's basketball, but I got a chance to watch your team early in the season. And I want to say it was either late November, early December uh, on television. And I, I mentioned to Patrick the next day, I said, Patrick, I know they're piecing it together. And I know some of these are new to the team. But watching this team, they look like they've played together for years. They know where each other is going to be on the floor, especially in fast-break situations. It looked like they were very fluid. And then, of course, as the season went on, we saw how they were really a family, uh, could pull each other aside and do a little coaching and critiquing and, and be able to handle that. For you as a coach and for the staff, how quick did you guys see, wait a minute, this team's coming together, did you think quicker than, than maybe originally thought? I definitely do, but I'll tell you why. Again, I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but that that, that that's Kim Malky. Yeah, I mean every single thing she does is incredibly intentional. Uh, there's great thought into every word she speaks, to every drill she does, to uh, every team gathering we have. 
to every film session we have. I mean, she's constantly dropping little messages that evolve around the culture that she wants. Now, it's funny, uh, before we came on air, uh, Kent and I were talking about uh, the change in collegiate athletics, especially basketball now, where we had nine new faces. And I think that's going to be the norm. Yeah. I mean, the the days of having freshmen go to sophomores, sophomores grow to juniors, and having that uh, four senior kids that have been – it's just not going to happen anymore. This is the way it is. And I think there are some coaches who are struggling and fighting that concept, and there's some who have grabbed it and said, let's figure this out. And I think Kim's one of that. Now, uh, while I give her a lot of the credit, certainly a lot of credit has to go to the kids. They bought in. They've got to buy in. I think it helps to have uh, Kim's resume and her background. They know that she's won. Uh, but those kids bought in, too. And that doesn't mean, you know, I, I tell people all the time, people always look at a, a championship team and they see, I, I don't know, what was our record, 34-2 and two or something like that, and said, man, it must have been a great year. Well, let me tell you something. We had problems. We had issues. Uh, we had adversity. Uh, and that's kind of what defines your team is how you handle that. So I, I thought every single thing that we did every day uh, through Kim's direction helped build this team into a cohesive unit to where everybody knew their role, everybody knew what was required of them, uh, and I think that's what paid off at the end. I mean, there was just – there was no better feeling than winning when three of your players coming off the bench were the difference makers. Now, if I'm sitting here and I'm telling you guys we play Iowa tonight for the national championship, but Lex Morris and Angel Reese are going to be sitting out for five minutes, uh, key part of the, of the the second quarter, you guys, and, and I'm going to agree, like, hey, it's a nice run, national runner-up. <laughs> but you got Jasmine Carson who steps up. Uh, Kateri Poole stepped up. Uh, Samaya Smith, last tier POA, and that's what championship teams do. Those guys step up. But, again, I think that was coach uh, teaching them their roles and giving them confidence in those roles and letting them know when that time comes they can shine. Yeah, I mean, again, Ken, it was, it was fun to watch the game because you could tell that was another reason people were drawn to yeah. watching it is because you've got – quote-unquote backups, which, as you, I'm sure, would tell us all, have been very integral to where you got. But to have them in there and have Carson just knocking every shot down and, and the announcers were letting people know they shouldn't be on the floor this much, and yet you're not only holding their own, they were building a lead, which, again, just was another great storyline in that championship. I think it was the most important storyline. Not, not that they came in and they held the fort down, but we separated with those guys yeah. on the floor and gave us tremendous momentum and energy going into to halftime. So uh, those kids not just accepting their role but owning their role at a key time and to have confidence to play. Uh, that that's why you got a banner getting ready to drop down from the PMAC now. Oh, it's exciting. You have uh, Kim Kim Mulkey gave you lots of credit for your scouting this year, but I've known you've done scouting stuff long ago when you and I were a lot younger in your first stint <laughs> here at LSU. But I mean, you've written papers, you've written a book on the art of scouting. I mean, in can you put it in simple terms what you look for when you start scouting a team? Are you looking at player tendencies, the plays they run, the type of tendencies a team might have? 
what's the first couple of things you start grasping on when you start looking for a at, a, at an opponent? Sure. The first thing I'm going to do is just do some very basic stuff where I need help from my SID. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling out the basic stats. I want to know who's shooting what from the three. Uh, I want to know who's getting to the free throw line, uh, who's going to the offensive boards. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some notes from that. And then uh, we got a couple sources we go to for analytic packages. And, and, and I like to pull up some analytics. I'll say this about analytics. I think they're very important. But they're, they're not the cure-all. To me, analytics are like a GPS. Like I see a team uh, – for instance, uh, I was a perfect example. A lot of people thought the key was shutting down Clark. We didn't think so. Analytics showed that Clark averages 27 points a game when they win, but she averages 30 when they lose. Guess what, guys? Clark's going to score. Yeah. <laughs> but they average 42 points in the paint when they win, and they only average 28 when they lose. So – I've got this information, so they got 42 points in the paint. My job is to find out where those paint points are coming from. Are they coming off post feeds? Are they coming off dribble penetration? Are they coming off flashes? One of the things I learned from Gino Oriem a long time ago when I was young, I used to look for patterns. You know, I want to know this play, that play, this play, that play. What I learned from Gino is look for concepts. Uh, you're looking for, you know, is this a ball screen team? Is this a, is this a cutting team? Is this a, a dribble drive team? And then work on defending those concepts. And then the things that you do uh, that I think Kim pays me for are, are, are the, the little things like, you know, what do teams like to do coming out of timeouts? Uh, you know, when she subs this player in, what's their go-to play? You know, the last minute they they advance the ball for a sideline out-of-bounds play. What's their action there? Uh, how are they going to guard us late? You know, those are the little things. Uh, it takes – it's tedious work. Somebody asked me last week on a podcast, and when I'm in the SEC, I like to look at about 10 to 12 games. Um, I have to watch the whole game. That's how you get the feel. You, they have these things where you can pull up clips, but I, I can't get a feel. I, I see the but I gotta. I want to know why and when a coach is going to do something. And the best part about it is, I absolutely love watching film. I do. I just uh, I get in the office. First thing I do is 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 pull up some game tape and, and and start watching. So I enjoy it. So I think that helps. There's a lot of a lot of young people who get in it and they'll they'll watch one or two games or they'll watch a game on TV and they'll write some notes and they think that's a scout. It it takes some work to get tendencies down and to understand how teams play and why and when. Uh, and it's something I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. It's one of the reasons I've learned so much basketball. I've learned more basketball watching other coaches during scouting than I have at clinics. Talk to me about second games in these tournament-type weeks like SEC and NCA. I mean, you've got maybe nearly five or six days to get ready for that first opponent, whatever round it is. But then all of a sudden, you know – Two days later, you got another game, whether it's the second round, the Elite Eight, or in this case, the championship game. Are you looking ahead? Are you trying? I know you're sitting at courtside probably watching that team play live that day uh, on the first round, but how do you get it all just washed away and start anew then after the the first round win well when you get postseason you, you're, you're scouting them all uh so uh you know it was funny we were um 
we flew from, from Baton Rouge up to Dallas for the Final Four. And then, of course, when I'm on the plane, I got my laptop open. Right. And I was actually breaking down Iowa. And uh, President Tate was sitting behind me. And uh, after we were fortunate enough to advance past Virginia Tech, uh, he was at breakfast. He said, I saw you were breaking down Iowa. How did you know it was going to be Iowa? I said, well, I didn't know. But we, we know enough about South Carolina uh, that I could take a shot. So, But, you know, when, when the NCAA tournament starts, we knew, for instance, that um, Hawaii was going to be our first game. And that was either going to be Vegas or uh, it was going to be Michigan. Michigan. So, uh, unfortunately, I got Kalen Rice on our staff, who is really beneficial in helping me. So, I had the Hawaii scout. I gave Kalen Vegas, and I took Michigan. <laughs> and we kind of advanced like that. But you, you, you can't wait till you find out who you're playing to start. Because, like I said, I, I got to get about ten games in to get a really good feel. The art to that is one day turnaround is knowing how much to give your team. A big believer in less is more. Uh, and Kim is too. I mean, yeah. Kim's the master at it. So the scouting report's going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, the things we work on at practice, we're just going to hit on a couple of key things instead of, you know, you give them everything, you're not really giving them nothing. I mean, they just can't process all that in a short time. So the key to me, I'm going to find the time to watch the film. The key is what are the important things that we have to give the kids and make sure we don't give them anything more than that. Can I uh – Take him back a few years, if you don't mind. Absolutely. This is a little before your arrival here. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. Hey, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, Bob was here for 22 years before he went off to other places because of situations and all. But, I mean, people may not even know this term. Unfortunately, back then, when he first came here, men's basketball had this kind of thing called a restricted earnings coach. I think they got enough to buy a can of soup a week or something. But, I mean, you know, how coaching has changed, how your life has changed since then, and, and all the success you've had. from. But, I mean, that's a term now that people would think is so far in what the title you had when you were here, yeah. when you first got here. I, well, it was the way the NCAA uh, instituted the third assistant. Uh, and certainly while head coaches wanted a third assistant, there were administrators who didn't because it, it meant more money they would have to shell out. Kind of like baseball has been for yep, the last that's, several that's years. Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. So they created the title restricted earnings where every university could hire a third assistant, but they weren't allowed to pay him more than $12,000. Mm-hmm. So, mm. but, you, you know, what about the money for me? You know, I, at the time I had been coaching at a, uh, I had coached NAI basketball for three years on the men's side, and then had went uh, one year and coached at Marshall University on the women's side. And uh, during that time, had been coming down in the summers and working camp for for Dale Brown and getting to know his staff and everything. And he offered me a, a chance to come be a part of his staff, and I, I would have done it for free. Now I, I do think that's lost on a lot of young kids now. I tell them all the time. And to be honest with you, shoot, the $12,000 was the pay raise for my other jobs. <laughs> you know, now you got kids who want to jump in and, and make, you know, six figures their first job, and they're not necessarily interested in paying their dues and learning their craft. And I always tell young people, your first job shouldn't be about the money you make. It should be about the people you work with so you can learn how to do your job. Uh, but it was it was obviously a, a magical time, you know, working for Dale and, 
Uh, you know, one of the, the the key figures in that was Johnny Jones, who yeah. probably the closest thing I have to a brother, and uh, really groomed me in a lot of areas like recruiting and things that I, I had not uh, been taught a lot. Um, and and it was just it was it was special. Obviously, we had. Uh, you know, my first year here was Shaquille's freshman right. year. I like to tell people we're a package deal, but nobody buys it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf was here uh, to watch him work on his own. You know, my, 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 my most important job, uh, Dale got me a room up in old Broussard Hall, the dormitory, and I had the key to the auxiliary gym. So you're the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> you're the guy. <laughs> so when when any of the players and it was it was my mood every night. Coach, let's go. And I would go down and open up the the dungeon for him and and watch him get a workout in harder than some kids play today. I mean, I, I got I just got to see a lot of special stuff. Uh, and then, then working for Dale was, was was something. I mean, that was that was a roadshow in itself. The people that you came into contact with, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I was very very blessed. Yeah, yeah, I, I will agree. I mean, think of this, Chris. He's worked with Dale Brown, Sue Gunner, Van Chancellor, Gary Blair for nine years at Texas A and M, and now Kim Mulkey. That's five in Halls of Fame, National Halls of Fame. Uh, I may be missing somebody, but I mean, and all of a sudden you get the opportunity to come back here to LSU. That's, that's really what I wanted that's to what, ask you. That's what's Here's what's interesting is a lot of people, Kent included, uh, when you returned to LSU, again, I, I didn't have that frame of reference, but they quickly brought me up to speed on your history here. And everybody that was here knew you around you, talked about just what a solid – Number one, individual you are. Number two, a coach. And there was a lot of excitement for it. For you, having spent that time, that that developmental time in your career here, and then, as Kent said, go on to, to other places and have success, was there ever a part of you that thought six years ago, you know what, if there ever was an opportunity, I'd like to go back to LSU? Or are you so kind of focused on where you are that when that opportunity arises, that hits you? Uh, and then when it did come – how excited were you to come back? Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say it. At, at, there weren't points in time where I always wanted to come back. I mean, it's a special place. And uh, there's a lot more to it than just, just me in the equation. My wife battled multiple sclerosis and breast cancer here, and yep. this community yep. rallied around her uh, to the point where uh, – my wife would come back to Baton Rouge two or three times a year, whether I was at A&M or whether I was Auburn, it didn't matter. And then I always came back once a year in the summer. Uh, we continued a vacation with, with Renee and Stan Bro, who's the administrative assistant for Kim Malky now. So I, in a sense, I never really left Baton Rouge. It was always home. Uh, but certainly I didn't think the opportunity would happen. Uh, and I certainly didn't think it would happen when, when Kim became the head coach because we really didn't have a relationship. We competed against each other. I think we may have had two or three conversations that last about five minutes when you're on the road in July and you're sitting beside each other and you're, you know, just some casual talk. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking when jobs come open, she's got a long list of people that she could pick from. And uh, I just I didn't think I would be on that list. 
And when I went to Auburn to work for Johnny Harris, it was a major rebuild job. And I told Johnny, I said, I'm going to give you three years. And that gets me to 65. And then I'm going to ride off into the sunset. My wife and I are going to, we're going to retire at the beach. And uh, I thought we had a really, really remarkable good first year at Auburn turning that thing around. And I was actually at the Final Four National Championship game sitting in my hotel watching on TV, and Renee called. And she said, uh, Coach Malky has asked me to ask you if you would like to come back and be her assistant. And, I, I mean, I literally I was stunned. I, was, I didn't know what to say. And I thought, and I thought, and I said, please tell Coach Malky this means more to me than anything in the world. You can, you know how much I love LSU, but I can't accept it. I promised Johnny Harris three years, and I've got to be a man of my word. And Renee said, well, I thought you were going to say that, but I had to ask. I said, okay. So the next morning, I'm on the uh, KL Cancer Board Fund, and we have our all-day board meeting the day after the national championship game. And I don't sleep that night. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm thinking I've just, you know, shot off my, my one chance to go home. And then it bothered me that I didn't discuss it with my wife. Hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of in the corner there before the, the meetings are starting, and a friend of mine, Felicia Hall Allen, comes up <clears throat> and says, we're, we're just sitting there chatting, and I'm, I'm really not even hearing her. I'm just looking in space. She says, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you. She said, I turned down LSU last night. And her phrase to me was, are you stupid? <laughs> and uh, she goes, you belong at LSU. She goes, that, that, that's the place where you're supposed to be. And so uh, I said, well, Johnny, she goes, I, she goes, I know Johnny. She goes, if Johnny really cares about you, she'll be disappointed, but she'll understand. And if she doesn't care about you, she, she won't understand, and, and you'll know you did the right thing anyway. So lunch comes, and I call Renee in the office. I said, listen, is there any chance that Kim hasn't moved on from me? And she started laughing. She said, no. She said, Kim just got off the phone with Johnny Harris to officially ask to talk to you. <laughs> She's going to make you tell her no. Wow. And I said, well, tell her she has to worry about it. And, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Coach Harris was remarkable. Uh, certainly was disappointed, but 100% understood. And uh, so it was an opportunity for me to come home. I'm glad I did. Well, sorry story. you didn't get your early retirement there, Bob. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I can't even imagine retiring right now. I mean, I, I just – it's such Good. an energetic thing. And, you know, we literally two weeks ago moved into what we consider our forever home. You know, it's the last home we're going to buy. And uh, it's just – it's a special time. Oh, wow. We're what all a, so happy. Yeah, indeed. Great story. Associate Head Coach Bob Starkey with the national champion – LSU basketball team. Uh, Coach, we could keep you in here for a long time, but I know you're busy because uh, when you win titles, that uh, even though the expectations are always high, they get a little bit higher. So I did want to ask you, I don't want to say that Coach Mulkey looked this way, but I know the players at times talked about how you know people just didn't think they played tough enough schedule, yeah. even leading up to the title game. Yeah, we just, we're not buying LSU. So there was always kind of this chip on the shoulder, sure. which for me is, is always good for a team. Absolutely. Now you win the title, you cut down the nets, and as Brian Kelly would say, you go from, uh, again, the hunter to the hunted. Yeah. Um, is that different? Um, and I know Kim Mulkey's been there, so she knows how to handle it. But from a team, from a player, from an 18- to 22-year-old, is that a different mindset of, of, you know, we're not getting the respect, we're going to keep swinging and fighting and clawing? To oh wait a minute now everybody we're not sneaking up on anybody and everybody's bringing their best against us. Well, it's it's definitely a mindset. 
I do think we got a little bit of it when we got in the SEC play. I mean, by the time we got in the SEC play, we were ranked in the top five in the country. And uh, people were critical of our non-conference schedule. You know, the bottom line is when the, ske- the schedule's done in January and February, and at that time, Kim only had one starter back. So she put together a schedule that she thought would be conducive to building the program and getting in the right direction. And by the way, I think it helped us a lot. Uh, but without question, we will start out day one with a, with a target on our chest, and uh, it, it'll be different. But I think it'll be good. Uh, you know, I, I think knowing Kim the way I do after one year, she will absolutely make it a positive. Now, certainly our non-conference schedule has been elevated. I think uh, without releasing it, I, I think a, a lot of our fans are going to be really excited about the people we're playing in the non-conference. But – we're able to do that because of where we're at with recruiting and returning players and everything. Uh, but it's – it's. Um, I think I'd rather be in the position of being hunted than being the hunter. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm okay with a national championship uh, banner hanging from the PMAC and getting everybody's best shot. And, and, and I think Kim has done that her whole career. And uh, I say this all the time. This is, has been uh, an amazing – learning year for me I'm a continual learner and to sit back and watch how she handles everything and this will just be one more thing for me to see uh, how Kim does this again it was uh, just a remarkable year storybook year um, that still continues um, turned um, you know what I would say really good players into college sports superstars in a matter of months and again the credit goes to coach Mulkey credit goes to you the entire staff um, but as you said earlier, also to these student athletes who yeah. were able to embrace that uh, and meet that challenge head on, which was it was it was just fun to watch. Well, that's um, I think that's a really underrated component in college athletics right now, and that's uh, social media, uh, NIL, all these things are tugging uh, at their heartstrings and and their mindsets, and you're you're fighting to keep their intention. You're fighting to keep them focused, and it's it's incredibly hard. I mean, the, as soon as the game's over, the kids are going to their to their phones because they have to create content, and uh, your kids have to buy in for it to work, because uh, otherwise it won't. And uh, there may be no more important quality than a coach who can hold their team's attention. Yeah, Jay Johnson had a great yeah. line that, that made me think of what you just said. He said, we have goals. We don't have dreams and wishes. And if you don't invest and you're not bought in and you're not locked in, then it's just dreams and wishes. Yep. It's not a goal. And that's exactly, I think, as you described it with this it. women's uh, basketball yeah. team. Uh, but it's a pleasure to have you on it here. Uh, I couldn't be happier. I know Ken, who's known you, as we've said for a long time, uh, he couldn't be happier for you. And a lot of people that work at LSU, so happy you're back in the purple and gold and uh, happy for the success this year. And as I said, looking forward to so much more coming up. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, it's yeah. going to be an exciting ride yeah, here my, over the next my couple only, of years. My only advice is, uh, Bob, <laughs> because it's already been announced, uh, bring Sherry with you to the Cayman Islands when y'all go to that tournament. And probably bring your own clock operator after what happened to the men <laughs> last year. Uh, yeah, Chris, we'll Chris and I are we're firsthand witnesses to that. Uh against Kansas yeah. State. Uh yeah, we followed that. We we were we were watching that. That was that was that was painful. But you know, if you do it enough, 
crazy things happen in the islands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we actually yeah, have. That's fair. It's, it's the truth. There, there's been some crazy things with the clocks, and uh, it, it, the islands are different. You better be ready. That's what they say. You're well, on island time. You'll like they it. found out. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a different <laughs> definition of island time, no doubt. Coach, again, congratulations uh, on the success this year. Everybody is so locked in, looking forward to, to next season, which I know, as you know, will be here before we know it. But, yes, uh, again, thanks for joining Thank us. You. Happy yeah. to have you here. Thank you. Bob. Thanks for having me, guys. Coach Bob Starkey, associate head coach of your national champion, women's basketball team that's going to wrap things up for this week's play-by-play thanks to kent lowe thanks to coach thanks to harrison valentine of course thanks to you hope to see you next week until then so long everybody